God, God. grant me the serenity, serenity. to accept the things thing. I, I cannot change, change. the courage to change. change the things I can, and the wisdom to, to, know, the to know the difference. Thanks so much, Claire. Sorry we didn't point that out to you before. <laughs> um, so I'm very excited and honored to invite uh, our friend and prodigious giver of service, uh, Debbie from New York, who is our keynote speaker tonight. Welcome, Debbie. Thank you. That's it, I go. Okay. Good afternoon. I'm Debbie, a grateful compulsive overeater who is still a morbidly obese woman, but through the grace of God and the program of Overeaters Anonymous, I get to live in a borrowed body. I did everything right yesterday. So I get to borrow this body for again, one more day. As soon as I decide that I have this down and I don't need to continue, I will give everything I have back. Everything in a way I've taken and I've learned and my thoughts are not original. I take everything I've heard that made sense to me that I liked and I've rephrased it. I was taught that if you hear something so profound that you need to repeat it, just don't put a name or a hairdo to it. Other than that, I have very few original thoughts. When I first entered the program, it was very confusing to me, but I understood the just for today. Just for today, I would dress becomingly, talk low, act courteously, criticize not one bit. I could do those things or I could strive to do those things. I didn't have to tackle my whole life in in, in, in everything. I just needed to be the best Debbie that I could be today. And that made sense to me. I lived by all those words until I made sense of the, of the steps. I grew up in Queens, New York. I went to school there. I actually, for the most part, spent most of my life in junior high school. I grew up in Queens and then I became a junior high school teacher and I spent 29 years, 31 years in junior high school teaching there. I grew up with a sister and a, a perfect sister and a brother. I could never hope to, man, to, to measure up to my perfect sister. And I always thought that if there were two girls in the family, you had to love one more than the other. My friend said to me later on in life, didn't you know that your parents treated you differently? And I never did. I just assumed that that's the way it was in everyone's family. I absorbed things and I learned things that weren't real, weren't true, and weren't factual. It took me years to do that. I was born with a broken full button. I ate way past when I was full and food was my friend. Food didn't answer back. Food wasn't critical. Food didn't be, treat me badly. I could go there and eat what I wanted and it was just me. Binge, because I'm not good enough. 
I grew up in the poem also where the loudest person was the rightest. I learned how to rage and have rages with my mother. We screamed at each other. She is the only person today who still can set me off, can still make me crazy. And it hurts me so bad afterwards because I know I've grown since then. Um, As of the last few years, my mother has severe dementia, so we don't even fight anymore because there's nothing to fight about because she can't string five words that make sense together. For the first time in my life, when I see her, she says, I love you, Debbie. Here's a kiss. Those are things I don't ever remember getting as a child. I turned that around and I yelled at my son. I had rages at my son. And the only thing I can do now is make living amends to him. And I do that. My mom started taking me to diet clubs when I was 12 and a half. I said I grew up in Queens. I grew up on the same block with David Neidich. We went to the same schools together. His mother started a Weight Watcher club in the neighborhood and it grew to multinational, which lets you know how long I've been going to that. My mother took me to every pay and way there was. There were pills, there were shots, there was fasting, there was liquids. And my personal favorite, I always share this, if you take a rolling pin, and you roll it up and down, you pretty much can eat what you want because you're breaking up all the fat cells. In reality, that was ridiculous now, but we went and we paid the man good money. I could diet for a specific time, occasion, a bet, and I could lose 50 pounds, but I either dieted or I didn't. Once I didn't, I gained back everything with interest. I thought I was tall. I have a sister. I have girl cousins. My mother, my aunts, not one of them is five feet tall. At 5'4", I believed that I was very tall. Until I got to like high school myself, And I'm looking up at all these people. Again, misinformation that I absorbed that wasn't necessarily true. I married a man who convinced me he was the best that I could ever hope to do. He treated me poorly, just like my mother. Only he was physically abusive as well as verbally abusive. I left him when my son was nine years old. And I finally realized how horrible his home life was. I think that was the first time I ever had a spiritual awakening. I really need to put my glasses on. My dad and I went to diet clubs too, because my mom dragged him. And it, with him, it was, this time it's for real. This, for real, we'd say every, a shake, for real this time. Monday, for real. Diet, uh, first of the month, for real. And it wasn't until I came into program that he started asking me about it because he said for him and alcohol, it was the same thing. He couldn't just have one. And he had never heard of the concept of 
not having it or being abstinent or just saying, no, I'm not gonna do that. I love my dad. I miss my dad terribly. I was a New York, high, a New York City junior high school physical education teacher for 35 years. I spent more than half my life in junior high school. My daily wear was um, designer sweatsuits and sweatpants. On casual days, I wore the school sweatshirt. So I always had an elastic waist on. So you really didn't know whether I was gaining or losing. And I wore sweatshirts all the time and they hired a multiple, multitude of sins. To this day, I still own way too many sweatshirts. It's just that something it hasn't lived. In 1989, my principal put me up for an award and I happened to have won the Angela Zerpades Physical Educator of the Year for District 24. And in a left-handed compliment, my, my principal said, if you win, you need to go get a dress to accept the award. I did. I did. I walked into the... I walked into the rooms of Overeaters Anonymous in January of 2005. I was broken physically, spiritually, emotionally. Chuck, if you have some of my pictures, you could put them up there now. This would be a good place. Or not. I need to be host, I'm sorry. Okay. When I joined, I cried for the first eight weeks. People who know me from back there, I just sat and cried. I couldn't even share. I couldn't imagine that you were telling my story. How did you know what went on in my house behind the closed doors that I lived? How could you know that I snuck food, that I hid food? Somebody had once said, this is too funny. This is the only place that you can go where people will applaud for you when you say you didn't eat off the floor, you didn't eat it when it was rotten, you didn't eat it out of the freezer, you didn't use the expiration date only as a suggestion. You get this. You get this. I have a sister, again, we said she's perfect. She will go and buy at the bakery two cookies, eat half and put the others away. I know exactly where those two cookies are, even though she has forgotten them. It took me 18 months to lose 60, 60 plus pounds. And I have maintained a healthy body weight for the last 14 years. I don't count days and months because that would be complacent. Come around January, middle of January, I celebrate an anniversary because that's very dear to me. When I walked into program, I finally said to my son after several weeks, I came home crying and I said, son, I need to have my other knee replaced and I'm a compulsive overeater. And he looked at me, shrugged his head and said, oh, I know that. So it's another thing. We think nobody knows what we're doing. Nobody knows that we sneak food. Nobody knows that we hide food. Nobody knows the lengths to which we go to get what we need. But everyone seems to do that. Along the way, I became a blonde. 
And when my sponsor asked me, what was, what was your motivation? I always hated that question, but they always said to me, what was your motivation? My motivation was I wasn't f- finished becoming the Debbie that I had really wanted to be. This is, this is what I wanted to do, and this is, this is what I wanted to be. I wake up every morning unrecovered. For me, I am unrecovered. I have to make a daily commitment to what I'm going to do today. I read Voices of Recovery. I read Just for Today. I read a couple of other things. I say the third step prayer, and I always say, God, please walk with me. Please guide me in my recovery today and help me be mindful. For a time, walking was difficult because, and this is funny, I heard a lot of people today talking about their knees and their hip replacements. How many children have we sent to college because of our orthopedic doctors? Thank God for orthopedic doctors. Knowing that my food is planned for the day relieves me of that anxiety. I no longer have to think about it. I know what my plan for food is going to be because life throws things at us. Every meal has a beginning, a middle, and an end. That was a concept I had no clue about. It didn't start when I went to the store. It didn't start when I was unpacking the food. It didn't start when I was making my meals or when I carried my meals over to the plate for other people. I could have eaten two pounds or three pounds of food there. I'm ready when you're ready, Chuck. It didn't start after I finished the meal and I ate off other people's plates. My meal was my plate, weighed and measured. And that was it. Um, I should be screen sharing now. Sorry, Debbie. Okay, but I don't see anything. Should I see it? Uh, Nobody else sees it. It's not working, Chuck. Okay. I stopped halfway through. I started at well over 200 pounds. When I was pregnant with my son, oh, yeah. That's me, my hippie teenage years. That's me on the right with the dark hair right after my son. And I have permission to show that picture on the bottom. And if anybody knows, that's me on the right. And that's my friend on the left. And the only thing better than a friend you make in program who lasts a lifetime is a former eating buddy who comes into program and gets program with you. We would go out to dinner with a third girl or to dinner for five, family style dinner for five. And there was with appetizers and dessert and there was nothing to take home. She's given me this permission to put this on because this is it. Hold on, turn around. Stop. That's Roz. Roz and I have both been maintaining a healthy body weight for a long time now. We are both committed to a program of recovery. I think that's another reason why we remain friends. 
If you could get to the last picture. Oh, that's the worst picture I ever took in my life. That was right after my son was born. That was on dress up day in 1985. I was well over 218 at that point. I weighed 247 when my husband, when my baby was born and he weighed eight pounds. And the last one in the blue dress, that picture is the best picture in my life. Is the best picture I ever took. It was the day my son got married. I couldn't believe that I could actually look like that. Other people could look like that, but I never, I, ne I never thought it was possible. And because I love that, I'm good now. I wake up every morning with a commitment. I have promised myself that just for today, I will be abstinent. I will do all the things necessary to maintain my abstinence. I will pray. I will exercise. I will do what I'm, if today sucks so badly, tomorrow all bets are off. But today I am promised that and I do what I need. Halfway through my weight loss, I started, I plateaued and I just stopped and I knew at 180 pounds, that was nowhere near maintenance. So I went to a nutritionist and we fought, but I listened to her and I got down to where I need to be. And I have maintained that healthy body weight for all that time. I, she has me eat two fish meals a week. Everyone who knows me knows I don't like fish. I eat fish because I wear fish so much better than I wear a bacon cheeseburger. I wear fish so much better than any of the other stuff that I used to eat that caused me to weigh 200 pounds and I don't want to go there or be there again. Here's something. Every meal doesn't have to be a carnival or a festival on your plate. Every meal is in a party. The good things with Overeaters Anonymous, we have another meal coming later down the road. If this meal is a disappointment, I have another one coming down that may make me happier. Knowing that I have another meal coming always makes me happier. I do a 10th step before I go to bed. I am the hardest person on myself. I speak to myself in ways I would never expect or accept anybody to treat me. But I still, I still treat myself badly. I still say nasty four-letter. I mean, I told you, a New York City school teacher, I could curse with the best of them. There isn't one I haven't heard in, in, in multiple languages. But today I choose not to. I have a very close relationship with my higher power. He makes me laugh and he has a great sense of humor. He always knows what's best for me and he has a plan for me. It annoys me, it does, he doesn't run it by me first. If God had wanted me dead as the, the God of my childhood was a punishing God, was a vengeful God. If he had wanted me dead, 
I am a teenager in the 60s. I did a boatload of things that could have easily killed me. And yet I am here. I was recently asked by a new sponsee to defend the concept of powerlessness. powerlessness. We all come in and say, how could you tell me I'm powerless? And I was very, it's very for me to explain. Since 2005, I've done everything right. I've gone for well checkups. I exercise, I eat healthy. And yet, wait, there's more. I've had one knee, two hips, a kidney removed. If I had not gone for a well checkup, I would not be here today because once cancer spreads outside the kidney, you're a goner. I developed a spinal tumor. Who gets a spinal tumor? What, co- what did I do to cause myself to get a spinal tumor? My neurosurgeon says, you're just a very unlucky person. Okay. But then again, I have a very wonderful higher power. Any of the things that have ever happened to me have been able to be removed, replaced, or repaired. Just this February, I needed to, I had an ovarian mass. And my doctor called me back up and said, oops, I made a mistake. Don't you love when doctors do that? So I needed to have a surgery. I had the surgery at the end of February. I had my last drain removed on March 10th. The world closed on March 15th. Again, my higher power has a wonderful sense of humor and he took very good care. In the third step prayer that I say, I offer myself to thee to build with me and do with me as you will. Relieve me of the bondage of self that I may better do thy will, your will, not mine. Take away my difficulties that victory over them may bear witness to those I would help of your power, your love, and your way of life. You know what? Just because you are in program doesn't mean your problems are going away. Life happens. Life happens, a flat tire, traffic, an appliance break, someone gets sick, that's life. Because I have a program of recovery, doesn't mean I'm going to win the lottery, doesn't mean Mr. Wright is gonna drive up in a white Corvette and save me. It means I have better skills and strategy and structure to get me through each day. Some days I really just want to hide under my desk, but I do that for a while. And then I say, okay, God, it's you and me. Let's get out and do this together. There is no food, no drug, no alcohol, no amount of shoe buying or sweatshirt buying that fills that hole that opens up. And you all know that hole that gaping hole of pain, despair, distraught, distress that opens up, that makes you want to fill it. I have learned that nothing fills that except waiting five minutes or an hour, or if you are a teacher, 42 minutes. 
because every period was 42 minutes. My life is in one hand, my food is in the other, and I never clap. There is no reason that my life and my food ever meets. It's not a necessary thing. If I become nuts, N-U-T-S, it means I am not using the steps. Back up, start over, keep going. I got to this finish the step work and I skipped the second part of the book because it was aughts and every groups. And then I went with Roz. We sat in on a traditions workshop and the woman changed everything. When you read the traditions and it says every group ought, change it to I. I need to. And that working the traditions has absolutely catapulted my, my recovery. Tradition four, every group ought to be autonomous except in matters affecting OA or OA group as a whole. Translation into English. Everyone has the right to make their own decisions. My son and daughter-in-law get to raise their daughter as best as they can. They are doing a wonderful, fabulous job. Marianne, the light of my life, my two-year-old granddaughter, is exceptionally bright, inquisitive, fearless, happy, and loving. I want to be her when I grow up. She has no shame, guilt, remorse, or anxiety. For me, hunger and anxiety still feel the same. When I have this feeling, I have to say, am I genuinely hungry? When did I eat last? Or am I anxious? I've eaten. I have no reason to be hungry. And food is not going to change it. So maybe I'm just anxious. And I need to, to live a little bit differently. Tradition 10. Overeaters Anonymous has no outside opinion, has no opinion on outside issues. Hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. I have lots of opinions. I have opinions on everything. Most people don't want to hear my opinion. I've learned not to give it. I've learned to be a wonderful listener. My children certainly do not want to hear my opinion. And the word should, if I tell you, you should, should is a very judgmental word. Should means I know better for you than you know for yourself. So I try not to use the word should. Another thing I picked up along the way. If I say it once, it's a suggestion. If I say it three times, now I'm nagging. More than three times, I'm manipulative and controlling. So I have to be very careful to say something and then count it. My son especially, I will say, ask him for something. If I, by the third time, if I have asked him and he doesn't answer, I let it go. Means he don't want it, he don't need it, and he's just trying to let it go politely. 
I've had many, many miracles in recovery. I was able to retire from teaching. Nobody had a better job than I did. I played ball with kids for 35 years. I never thought it would be possible to retire, but I did. I just kept going to one day after another. I have a wonderful relationship with my son and my daughter-in-law and my granddaughter. I cherish that. That's a miracle because I'm not necessarily speaking with my sister or my brother because I don't allow them to treat me badly anymore. I would travel after I retired, I traveled. I love to go to different parts of the United States. I've been places. In my living room, in the last six months, I have been to virtual meetings in Canada. I've been to Paris, France. I've been to Texas. I've been to Florida. That's how I do my traveling now. It's much lighter to pack, and I don't have to worry about jet lag. I'm also very lucky. It's a miracle. I worked with the same people from 2008 until I retired. We still get together once a month for a gym lunch. That's what we call it. We're doing it through Zoom now because one of the husbands had a very serious illness, and they don't want to go out, so we... That's my second family. We got married together. We raised our kids together. We lost our parents together. Our kids got married. Our kids having children. So it's a wonderful thing. Today I live virtually. We are experiencing life as none of us have ever before. And I can say that because the last time we had a pandemic of this magnitude was in 1917, and none of you are over 120 years old. Life is different. Changes. We're addicts. We don't like change. I stayed married for 20 years because it was more comfortable to be there than to be changed because change is scary. I live by myself. I am isolated, but I am never alone. I sold my house on Long Island and my kids said to me, move closer to us. So I moved to Westchester. I started going to groups here. I started attending meetings here and then the world closed. I have one friend up here who as of last week, we can't walk because her pot of people, someone got, is tested positive. If you would have told me six or eight months ago, I would be using the word pod in, in everyday terminology. I would have asked you if you were talking about peas or a family of whale, whales. But pods are the people who are in my small circle. And my granddaughter has a congenital heart problem. So I keep my pod very small, very few people. Um, I do need the glasses. May 20th and for today, the profoundest affinities are those most readily felt. How well I know the feeling of being at home in an OA meeting, no matter how far I may be from my own home group, the warm, 
welcome, the nods of understanding tells me that I am company of people with whom I have more in common than many of my friends. Being a compulsive overeater who is recovering in a way means I never have to be alone with my disease. I only have to pick up the phone, go to a meeting, reach out to someone who shares the same illness, the same physical, emotional, and spiritual symptoms. Only another OA member knows what it took to get here. For today, my joy in recovery is multiplied in direct proportion to the extent to which I share it with other compulsive overeaters. Four minutes, Debbie. Four minutes. Fabulous. This year, the holidays will be different, but they're still holidays. And I can never let my resolve weaken. In the 12 and 12, the new one, page four, right there at the beginning, and this was written by overeaters, it says, those of us who have returned to compulsive eating behaviors after years of recovery have found it harder than ever to stop. I'm not gonna argue with that. I'm not gonna even play with that. If I still have one great fear, it's that if I take a day off, if I walk away and become complacent, then, then I will lose what I have and I may not have another recovery in me. I do tremendous amounts of, of service. I am just coming off eight years of the Region 6 board. Uh, in the last 10 years, I've missed one assembly and one world service. And I missed the world service this year because I didn't want to miss my granddaughter's second birthday. I missed her first birthday because of the um, world service I was at. This year, during the height of the pandemic, I couldn't see her, so I'm over two on birthdays. Okay. I stay here 24-7, nights, weekends, and holidays. You understand that. You understand that time after time I have proved myself wrong. How can you lose weight after, how can you maintain your weight after 15 years? You're getting older. I still am. I've had surgeries and I still weigh the same. I hate cooking. Nobody cooks less than I do, but I have found a way to eat healthy and get it from other places. In closing, I wanna thank each and every one of you for teaching me how to be a lady, for how to dress like a lady and talk like a lady, for loving me until I could love myself for loving me in spite of my shortcomings and mistakes, for loving me when I didn't love myself. Thank you for being better friends to me than my own family was. For those of you who have attended the assembly and the convention, you have no idea the amount of hours that went into planning all of this. Having come off the assembly and coming into the region convention, we have met every other week. We have met countless hours so that you could do this. I signed up as fundraising champ. I just fundraising champ. I just wanted to sell blue and red and yellow tickets. Not so. We have so many things. I need to take a breath. 
thank you for being here when I've needed you. Thank you for being here just because I needed to reach out. If nobody told you today they loved you, God loves you. And so do I. I love each and every one of you. Thank you for being here for me today. I'm done. Yeah. I made it through without crying. Thank you, Debbie. Almost. You almost. 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 An amazing um, story about the power of this program and your personal recovery. Uh, like like in uh, pre the previous sessions, uh, we will have a Q&A, so please use the Q&A function. And it's a wonderful feature of, of Zoom, so let's uh, that's use it. And Debbie has agreed to take some uh, questions and answers until uh, we have to move on. So, uh, Debbie, are you ready? Yeah, sure. Okay, okay so um, first question is, what is your experience in accepting a higher power's will versus your own? I have a higher power, very close. We talk often. I don't always like what he has to say for me, but he will never say no. He may say, you have to wait, and patience is not my strong suit. He may say, not now. He may say, I have something better for you later. I also have to listen very carefully. I have to listen because he speaks in a soft voice. He speaks in a soft voice so that the voices in my head don't drown out and I need to listen. And that's what it is. I, I, I accept what he says. I don't have to like it. I do have to accept it. Next. So you, uh, you said something interesting that you said you were still morbidly obese, but you also say you're maintaining a healthy body weight. Uh, can you explain uh, what you meant by that? Okay. I didn't decide on this weight. My doctor, my nutritionist, my higher power, and my God decided on this weight. Actually, the nutritionist picked something that was higher up, and this is where my body landed. This is enough food. I know this is a hard, ridiculous concept. Food is supposed to be used as fuel for your body. We never used it. I was morbidly obese, getting bigger and bigger. My knees gave way. I have arthritis. I look like this today. I am proud to tell you how much I weigh, if you needed to know how much I weigh today. So I say, I am a healthy body weight. When you look at the charts, my doctor never says to me anymore, your numbers are good, but you could lose weight. A healthy body weight, as determined by those stupid charts, by your doctor, by your higher power, and what your body really needs. Great, thank you. And uh, can you tell us uh, a little bit about your experience with uh, sponsors and working with a sponsor? Okay. I've always had a sponsor. My first meeting, a woman came up to me, said, you need a sponsor? I will be your sponsor. You will call me at 545 every day. Not 544, not 44. And I was so desperate. I did anything. If she wanted me to walk barefoot in the snow, I wanted what you guys had. You were happy. You were laughing. You were thin. And life was not always good. I've always had a sponsor. 
the second sponsor I picked was the no, the third one I picked. She was 5'10", tall and willowy and had these legs. And I wanted to be 5'10", tall and willowy. What I got instead was an extremely spiritual program. My next sponsor was somebody who was working at the region level. I needed somebody who worked beyond. So she understood the work that I was doing at the region level and beyond. For me... I have only had one sponsor at a time. I'm a, I'm a wise guy. If I have a food sponsor and a step sponsor and a maintenance sponsor and a spirit, I'm going to ask all four the same questions and do what I, and, and pick the right answer that I like best. So I have one sponsor and I still call her every day and we still connect every day because I don't want to play games. I am accountable to somebody. Integrity. Integrity is what you do when you're alone and nobody's watching. I call my sponsor. I let her know. My sponsor and a few of my friends know where all my bodies are buried. And I trust them with the secrets of my life. I trust my sponsors and my best friends with this knowledge, knowing they will never betray me. Next. Sounds great. Um, so we have another question here. Um, how has your family changed as, as you have changed in program? My family has changed. My sister never got it. My sister never got it. She respected me because I did it. And she saw that the change in me made me happy. But then again, my family dynamics was such that it was okay to treat somebody badly. And I was usually that. My mother, who has dementia, had three children, Rachel, Rachel, and a boy. Obviously, I'm not Rachel. So it was okay to treat people badly, and I, I stopped accepting being treated badly. So my sister and I are a very strained relationship at this point. Okay? That's good. Okay. <laughs> Um, and just a reminder to get those Q and A's in. Uh, we have about seven more minutes left. Um, so one of the um, one of the questions that uh, that I have is, what would you what do you do at night? You said you do a tent at night. Uh, what do you okay. do at night? And has it changed since uh, you know full time employment versus uh, retirement? No. no, I say my prayers in the morning. I'll say this one. I heard at a meeting, one woman shared at a meeting probably about 13, 14 years ago, when she gets in her car and she would go to, to work, rather than listening to the radio, it was a good idea to say another set of prayers because now she's out of her house and she's in the real world and traffic gets in her way and people are not what she wants them to do. So I do that too. I still, when I get in my car, I say another set of prayers. Before I go to bed, I thank God for today. Thank you for another day of abstinence. Thank you for taking care of my family. Thank you. I have a whole list. Thank you for taking care of my, my friends. Thank you for the people who provide service to me. Thank you. I thank God for everybody in my life, for helping me through another day, for guiding me. If I've made a mistake, I, what, what did I do well? What could I do better tomorrow? And, and we talk and I speak to him before I go to bed because he's always there with me. I live alone. He's my best friend. He's always there with me. 
Excellent. Um, somebody just asked to ask you to restate something. You said a quote, nothing fills the gaping hole of pain, but blank. Recovery. There is no food, no drug, no alcohol, no shopping, no sex. Nothing fills that gaping hole of pain, of despair, of distraught, of shame, fear, guilt, remorse. Do I need to go on? But recovery. And you have to just sit with it. Sit on your hands. Sit on your hands if you have to. Call a friend, say a prayer. Go to, there's no reason people can't go to meetings 24 hours a day. 24 hours on Zoom, there are meetings now. Do something to get out of your head. Your, I heard this, somebody said this also this morning. Your head is a dangerous place to be without adult supervision. And I know me. I know my best thinking got me into weighing well over 200 and some odd pounds. So I listened to what you say. I listened to what you did and I followed directions. I got, an, I got room for another one now. Yep. Okay. This, uh, we have one more, I guess. Um, what do you expect as a sponsor from your sponsees? Honesty. Sometimes people, to be real honest, some people will ask me to sponsor them, hoping that after two weeks, my recovery will rub off on them. I am only responsible for my own recovery. I will be glad. I will go. You could call me any hour of the morning after 8.30 a.m. till, till midnight if you have a problem. You can, I will work with you. I will help you. I want everyone to find the same peace, joy, love, serenity, and maintenance that I have found. All I ask is that you be honest and do what you do your job. I'll do my job. Sometimes people aren't ready. If you're ready, I will go through. I'll, and, and sponsorship has no end date. There is no semester end. There are no quarterlies. There are no finals. There's no graduation date. It's an ongoing thing. And the relationship you develop with your sponsees and your sponsor should hopefully become lifelong. I got to say one thing. My sponsorship ends certain times. People share things with me. I'm not a doctor. I'm not a lawyer. I'm not a therapist. I'm not a nutritionist. I can only tell you about what worked my experience, strength, and hope. I can't give you marital advice. I can't give you legal advice on how to sell your home. I can't give you medical advice. I can point you towards the right direction. And I, you know, I know way too much about medical things, but I can help you. And I will do my very, very best to help you if you really want to recover. Thank you, Debbie. And thank you for taking the time to answer some Q and A's from us. Okay. Debbie, be One sure. One more thing. 
I dressed for this. I got to tell you, I dressed. I agonized for this. Because if this was in person, I would have wore a cocktail dress. But just because I'm in my living room, I still had my hair done and I dressed for this. I needed to say that. Debbie, just so you know, Chuck and I dressed too. He changed into a collared shirt. I've got on my little... I went, when I saw your jacket, I saw it. I said, yes, I have to point that out. Yes, normally we'd all be dressed up for dinner and the evening activities. So yeah. Might be wearing shirts under that. We'll never know. Uh, well, I have yoga pants on. So, so not careful. We don't need too much information. Just well, I'm dressed. I'm dressed. Okay. So, Debbie, be sure and check the chat. There's some wonderful comments in the chat that you'll oh, want to read. Okay. 